0: Our scripture reading this morning is in the uh, Pew Bible on page 116. It's Leviticus 20, 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. A story uh, from years ago about a boy who went to Sunday school one Sunday in brand new church clothes. And when class was over, he decided to go outside and play with his buddies, and he happened to get those new clothes dirty. When he re entered the church building, his, his Bible class teacher saw him and said, Don't you know what cleanliness is next to? And he looked at her and said, Yeah. It's next to impossible. (laughs) Now, I, I know most of you have heard that old adage, cleanliness is next to godliness, but that's not in the Bible. But even though the Bible doesn't technically address our physical cleanliness, it does have a lot to say about spiritual cleanliness. And spiritual cleanliness has a lot to do with the next name of God that gets dropped in scripture. The name of God that we want to consider this morning is another self-designation by him. In other words, it's another name that he gives to himself. Thus far in our name dropping series, we've examined four of God's names. Two of those names were given by God to his people. Yahweh, the name he gave to Moses at the burning bush, and Yahweh Rapha, the name he gave when they encountered that bitter water. And then two of those names we've already examined were given by people to God. In particular, Yahweh Yireh, which was given by, Moses, by Abraham, and then Yahweh Nisi, which we looked at last week, which was given by Moses. And so today we're, we're adding a third name that God gave to his people. And it's the name we just saw in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. And I know we just read that, but look at that again with me. Yahweh speaking to Moses. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Moses says this. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I, the Lord your God... for I am the Lord your God. Sorry, I'm having trouble reading back there today. Let's start over. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Moses is directed to give this communication from the Lord, the Lord who sanctifies you from Yahweh in Kadesh. And this name, Yahweh Imkadesh that is dropped here in Leviticus chapter 20, it means the Lord sanctifies. Yahweh sanctifies. But what does it mean to sanctify? In order to understand this name, we have to understand sanctification. The Hebrew term attached to Yahweh's name here means to consecrate, to dedicate, to be hallowed it's the same term from which we get the word holy. And it refers to being set apart or separated or distinguished from that which is common or that which is profane. Now, that's a lot of words. I think I can help us all understand sanctification by using a few examples. You see, when I was a kid, we still referred to our Sunday clothes as our Sunday best. And some of you know what that means. That means those clothes that you wore on Sunday, like I talked about in my opening illustration, those clothes were set apart. You weren't allowed to wear those clothes Monday through Saturday. They were special. They were reserved. They were for Sunday only. How many of you had Sunday clothes? Raise your hand. The other thing that I always think of when I think of sanctification is my mother's china cabinet. Now, china isn't as big of a deal these days as it used to be, but I remember my mother had this beautiful china cabinet, and I always saw those dishes in there, but they never came out. They never got used. Their best function was as dust collectors. And I always wondered, why do we have this? Why do we have plates that we don't use? It's because they were sanctified. They were holy. They were reserved for special occasions, supposedly, but apparently we didn't have any. (laughs) And there's one other thing I think of when I think of sanctification. And this one, you're going to think, what in the world? I think of Western sizzling. Now, let me explain. When I was growing up, my family didn't have a lot of money. But when special occasions rolled around, like Christmas or Mother's Day, we went to Western Sizzling. As a child growing up, typically if we went out to eat, it was Wendy's. On Sundays, we would go to the local pizza restaurant known as Mazio's. Some of you might be familiar with Mazio's because it used to have branches around here. It still has one in Winder. It might be the dirtiest restaurant on the face of the earth, but I love it (laughs) because it takes me back to my childhood. And and Sarah and I will drive over to Mazio's on special occasions just to eat the pizza there because it takes us back to being kids. We might be sick afterwards, but we still love it. But when a special event rolled around in my family, my dad splurged and took us to Western Sizzlin. And I loved it. You know why? Because on that buffet, they had fried chicken all you could eat. And every leg that popped up on that bar was going to be mine. And so for me, Western Sizzlin was sanctified. It was a special place you went for special occasions. You see, that's what sanctification's all about. It's those things that get reserved, not for the common everyday experiences, not for the profane, the the unrighteous, the the evil experiences. They are reserved and special for those memorable, those holy occasions. See, Yahweh M. Kadesh is talking about Yahweh who sanctifies, Yahweh who makes holy. And it teaches, this name, it teaches us that holiness is the primary attribute of God. When we think of God's defining attributes or God's defining characteristics, typically we think of love because 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says God is love. And if you don't automatically think about love, maybe you think about God's goodness. Because Jesus declared in Mark chapter 10 and verse 18 that no one is good except the Father, or except God alone. Some might even consider grace to be his defining or primary attribute. Because in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, he is referred to as the God of all grace. But I want you to notice which of his attributes receives the most attention in heaven. See, as far as I know, there are only two times in the Bible, only, only two times that I know of, in which we get a vision that depicts God's throne room. I'm not just talking about pref- passing references to the fact that he has a throne or they, that he reigns from a throne. I'm talking about full-fledged depictions of that environment. One of those occurs in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah received a vision in which he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, With seraphim standing above him, and those seraphim were calling out in verse 3 of Isaiah 6, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. That's one vision we have of the throne room of God, and those creatures present, those seraphim, are declaring, Holy, 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 just like we sang a moment ago. The other throne room depiction comes in Revelation chapter 4. Where John receives a vision, and John sees a throne in heaven with one seated on the throne, but this time, instead of seraphim, there are four living creatures surrounding that throne. And those four living creatures never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The two occasions where we get these visions related to the throne room of God, whether they are to be understood literally or figuratively is not the subject matter. But we have these two occasions, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4, where we get this peek into the throne room of God. And the only thing those present can declare is holy, holy, holy. It's God's defining attribute. It's the attribute of God that receives the most attention in heaven, His holiness. Whether we understand it or not, God's holiness is what makes Him God. Those seraphim and those four living creatures weren't lauding God's love. They weren't glorifying God's goodness, and they weren't gushing over God's grace. They were honoring His holiness. And I can only imagine that when you and I get to heaven, we're going to be saying, holy, 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 because there's no other declaration worthy of God in the moment. You see, God's holiness must be celebrated because he is set apart from all other gods. Now, the font I'm using has that in all caps. But please understand that last word, gods, is a little g, God. And I want you to understand what I mean here. When you journey throughout the Bible time and time again, you're going to see references to the fact that God is one and only. That God is the only true God. For instance, Moses speaking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 35, he said, you you were shown these things, and if you look back a little bit, it's the signs and wonders that God had been doing with them through the exodus. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. Hannah, in that beautiful prayer of hers, recorded in the first or the second chapter of 1 Samuel, said this in verse 2, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6, Yahweh himself declared, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And the point being made by all of these passages and many more is that Yahweh is apart from everything else. That means his very essence is holiness because there is no one like him. He is special, he is reserved apart from everyone and everything else. Everything else is created, he is creator. There is no being like God. He is separate from all other beings, whether real or fake, and that, by definition, makes Him holy. You see, this name, Yahweh M. Kadesh, this name that speaks to, to holiness and to sanctification, it teaches us, That holiness is the primary attribute of God, but it also teaches us that holiness is God's expectation of his people. The name is Yahweh sanctifies. The name speaks to his activity with us. Now, I don't know if you feel this way, but it's been my experience throughout my lifetime that holiness as an attribute of God's people gets criticized more than it gets celebrated. Maybe you've heard phrases like holy roller and holier than thou. They are not complimentary terms. They're derogatory phrases. Have you ever been criticized for being holy? To be honest, I hope so. It is something for which we should be criticized. And while we might deflect any accusations of being holy out of a sense of humility, the truth is that Yahweh Kaddish is always intended for his people to embrace and pursue a holy identity. Just one chapter before Moses received the Ten Commandments, and approximately three months after they departed from Rephidim, where Moses gave God the name Yahweh Nissi that we spoke about last week, the Israelites, they arrived at Mount Sinai. And when Moses ascended that mountain, the first thing Yahweh said to him, according to Exodus chapter 19, verses 2 through 6, was this Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a what a holy nation these are the words that I that you shall speak to the people of Israel In other words the first thing Yahweh wanted the Israelites to understand is that in order to be his treasured possession his kingdom of priests and his holy nation they had to obey his voice and keep his covenant and his covenant required them to be unique. His covenant required them to be holy. His covenant required them to be set apart. His covenant required them to be distinct. They were going to have to embrace a unique dietary system that would eliminate some popular foods. They were going to have to embrace a unique purification system that would place boundaries on their relationships with other people. They were going to have to embrace a unique physical sign of the covenant that would distinguish the males among them from all other nations. And they were going to have to embrace a unique calendar. In fact, it's the, the calendar requirement that brings us the context of the only other time that the name Yahweh M. is mentioned. In Exodus chapter 31 and verse 13, Yahweh instructed Moses to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That I am Yahweh M. Kadesh. And while God did not drop this name with every unique practice that he gave to the Israelites, everything he required of them to distinguish them from other nations was his way of sanctifying them, of making them holy, of setting them apart from the rest of the world. So whether it's that kosher diet or circumcision or their requirement not to intermarry with other faith systems, it was all part of his plan to sanctify them. And don't think you're off the hook simply because a kosher diet, circumcision, and Sabbath observance are not requirements of God's children under the new covenant. Because guess what? The expectation is still the same. Yahweh still expects his people to embrace and pursue a holy identity. Look at what Peter wrote. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race. Peter used the language of Exodus to communicate the transference of God's holy expectation from Israel, his children under Mosaic law, to the church, his children under Christ. And this was not an accident. This was intentional. This transfer was not plan B after Israel fell. This transfer was not a compensatory pick because the first one didn't work out. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says that Yahweh chose us Yahweh chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And that us there is not a reference to Israel. That us is a reference to the saints in Ephesus. That us is a reference to the church. It has always been part of God's plan for those who are in Christ to be numbered among his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, and his holy nation. And that means it has always been God's intent for us to be holy. That's why Peter said this in 1 Peter 1, verse 14 and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God expects his people To embody the same attribute that he possesses. Holiness. That means you're supposed to be different. That means you're supposed to be strange. That means you're supposed to be set apart in the world. But There are two things you need to understand about this whole sanctification thing that Yahweh M. Kadesh is about. First, you need to understand that sanctification is an ongoing process. Now, I don't want you to get get confused here. I, I don't want you to think I'm misspeaking. There's only one way to be sanctified, and that's through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10 says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Christ's sacrifice not only provides for your justification and your redemption, but it also initiates your sanctification. Here's the catch. Even though Christ's one time for all mankind sacrifice starts your sanctification, that's not where your sanctification ends. Paul Paul writing about Jesus' sanctifying work in Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 and 23 said that Christ has reconciled us by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith. That if is very important. If indeed you continue in the faith. That if indicates that there is a condition to your sanctified status. That means that not only must we be baptized into Christ in order to come in contact with His sanctifying blood that provides for the forgiveness of sins, but we must also cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit in order to bring holiness to completion, as 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 says. Let us cleanse ourselves... The text does not say, let Christ cleanse you. Because the text isn't focused on how you initiate sanctification. The terminology here implies that we'll complete the holiness process, not initiate it. So what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe, is the consummation of sanctification you maintaining the holiness that you were given when you emerged out of the waters of baptism in Christ. You have a responsibility in maintaining your cleansed status. And then we have another passage that's worth mentioning here, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. It instructs us to pursue peace and holiness, to pursue holiness. Without holiness and peace, no one will see the Lord. This instruction doesn't envision passivity on our part. The author of Hebrews presents holiness as a pursuit in which we are active participants rather than passive recipients. In other words, the command to pursue holiness implies that there's a part you play in the sanctification process. Now, I'm not wanting to diminish the work of the Savior when it comes to sanctifying us. But I also don't want to diminish the responsibility we have to maintain that sanctified status. Christ paid too much to sanctify you, for you to squander it. The idea of bringing holiness to completion in in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and the idea of pursuing holiness in Hebrews 12 are not passive activities that are done for us. They are presented as active activities in which we are participants. And we need to understand that our sanctification is an ongoing process in which we play a part. And that part we play is contingent on this. Sanctification means being set apart from something and for something. Oftentimes, when we think of being sanctified, we only think about being sanctified from something. And that is part of it. To be set apart from something means abstaining from that thing. That means not doing it. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verse 22 summarizes all abstinence-based instructions in the Bible by simply saying, abstain from every form of evil. That's your responsibility. That's your task. That's your part. Abstain from every form of evil. As sanctified people, we have been set apart from evil, from sin, from unrighteousness. So we are to live as aliens and strangers in this world by abstaining from the passions of the flesh, as Peter would declare in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. To be set apart from something means that you're going to abstain from it. But that's not the only thing we're called to do with Sanctification because not only are you set apart from something but you are set apart for something to be set apart for something means that it is something you do notice what paul says in romans chapter 6 verse 17 through 19 but thanks be to god who that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. What Paul is saying is that each of us has a choice. We can either... Offer ourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, or offer ourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. Before we were baptized into Christ, we had no choice because we were enslaved to sin. But now that we have risen from that watery grave of baptism, we have been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. That means that you not only have been set apart from something, which is sin, But you've been set apart for something, which is righteousness. Your active involvement in pursuing righteousness is part of the sanctification process. And that means it's not enough just to avoid doing sinful things. You have to be actively engaging in righteous things, in God-glorifying things, in kingdom-oriented things. That means you sometimes have to say yes to things and no to other things. I think we're pretty good at saying no sometimes, but we're not as good at saying yes. If I'm going to be in pursuit of righteousness, if I'm going to be set apart for righteousness, I'm going to have to say yes to some things that maybe I haven't. See, it may be easy for me to say no to stealing, but am I saying yes to stewardship? It may be easy to say no to killing But are you saying yes to kindness? It may be easy for me to say no to adultery, but am I saying yes to purity? It may be easy for me to say no to putting others down, but am I saying yes to putting others first? It may be easy to say no to spreading rumors, but are we saying yes to spreading the gospel? It may be easy to say no to selfishness, but are we saying yes to service? And it may be easy to say no to heresy, but are we saying yes to unity? You see, in order to be holy, I have to say no to ungodly things, but I also have to say yes to godly things. The question for this morning is this. Is it time for you to say yes? Or is it time for you to say no? If you haven't put on Christ in baptism yet so that your sanctification begins, it's time to say yes. Jesus Christ died for you so that you can be cleansed, so that you can know Yahweh and Kadesh, so that you can be sanctified and set apart. If you haven't surrendered to that, you can do so today by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son, repenting of your sins and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those those sins. Maybe it's time for you to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you haven't been in pursuit of holiness and your sanctification began in Christ at your baptism, but you haven't you haven't continued it. You haven't pursued it. And it's time to say yes. Whatever your need is this morning, we're here. We're here to assist you, whether you need to say no to sin that reigns in your life or yes to holiness, the pursuit thereof. We invite you to come while together we stand.